today's episode, we will be discussing the history of Flint, Michigan, and how it went from a bustling industrial city to a city now plagued by poverty and crime. Welcome back to our podcast. Today I am here with Flint historian Franklin Wagner. Thanks for being here, Franklin. No, thank you. Always a pleasure to share my research with others. When I think of Flint, I think of the Rust Belt and the hard times that have hit Flint recently with a water crisis. Obviously, there is more to Flint than just those two issues, correct? Well, of course. I can give a brief overview of the city to start us out, and then we can dive into some other topics. Sounds great. So Flint was inhabited by American Indians when it was quote-unquote discovered by Jacob Smith in 1819, who then turned it into a trading post. Unlike other conquerings of tribal lands, Jacob and the Ojuaba tribe were respectful of each other. Um, Jacob actually worked on behalf of the U.S. government to allow Flint to become a trading post and a part of the United States. Flint's first industry was lumber. Its, its strategic location on the Flint River allowed for the transportation of lumber. That eventually led into the automobile industry because before Flint and uh, GM were a partner, there was a large carriage industry housed in Flint. In the early 1900s, Flint became home of General Motors and Buick, and the two who eventually combined into one company. GM, General Motors, was really the beginning of the city of Flint and its industrial expansion as one of the major cities in Michigan. How quickly did Flint grow in size? Where was it in comparison to some of the other industrial destinations in Michigan? Well, Flint grew tremendously once GM began investing in the city-to-be. One newspaper from May 16, 1920, stated, Detroit is the first city of the state, Grand Rapids second, with Flint a a close competitor. Just how long this one-time little Indian village will will remain in third position has a population of its state guessing. For the millions of dollars now being spent by the Buick factory in new additional buildings and factory plants means still further additions to Flint in increased population. Future months might possibly find Flint again changing its standing and advancing to the position of the big sister of Miss Dynamite, Miss Dynamic Detroit. So, end quote. So there was a great big increase in Flint's population in the beginning of the century, but Flint never had hope of becoming the city of Detroit. By the 1920s, Flint was home to 91,000 people. Um, Detroit was always seen, though, as the big sister to any other places or cities in Michigan, even though... Even so, it grew tremendously over the 20th century because of General Motors and its success. Well, let's stay in the 19th century for a second. What type of people lived in and moved to Flint? Who made up the demographic? According to census data from the 1850s, the Flint River region was made up of about 9% of immigrants. The rest of the population, which was roughly 12,000 people at the time, were white men and women who emigrated from the East Coast. There was also a decent number of American Indians who still lived in the area after the trading post was created. That's interesting. I'm guessing as the population of Flint grew, the immigration population did too. For the most part. But in respect to the entire United States, the Flint region had a relatively small number of immigrants in its population. Well, we will talk more about the people of Flint later. I think it's important to now dive into the history of General Motors in Flint. What can you tell us about it? There certainly is a lot, but I'll cover what's interesting. As I said, General Motors and Buick were consolidated in 1908 and was the largest automobile company at the time. William C. Durant was the head of the corporation, but before owning General Motors, he founded the Durant-Dort Carriage Company, also headquartered in Flint. So General Motors was headquartered in Flint until 
Durant built a new headquarters in Detroit and moved the company there in 1923. However, even after the move, General Motors still had many factories within Flint and employed hundreds of thousands of Flint's residents. Probably the most notable event in General Motors' um, history in Flint, besides its terrible departure, was a three-month strike in 1936 to 1937. Mm. Tell us more about that strike. Well, of course. The United Automobile Workers Union, or the UAW, was organized just a year before the strike occurred. It was difficult for them to gain traction as a union in Flint because General Motors controlled most of the city and its politics. GM also employed thousands of spies to maintain order in its factories. The company did not want to engage with unions or worker strikes because the best way for GM to make money consistently was to keep the stability in its factories. With all of the protection in the factories, how was the UAW able to organize and pull off its strike? There was not really one prime example that sparked the beginning of the strike. But one day, workers in one of the many factories stopped their work. A sit-down strike occurred, which is one where the workers are occupying the space in which they work. Once there was a slight chance of a strike, many other workers began to strike as well. There was resistance from the police. One day in particular is important. The day named the Battle of Bulls Run was when police bombarded strikers with pellet guns and tear gas. The strikers were able to hold their ground in the standoff, and they won the quote-unquote battle. The strike after two or so weeks in, was gaining national attention by then. Vice President of Franklin D. Roosevelt, at the time, John Nance Gamer, supported federal intervention to stop the strikers. But FDR, on the opposite hand, did not support intervention and instead urged GM to allow the use of a union. So what eventually happened? It turned out well for the strikers. General Motors and the strikers completed an agreement to make the United Automobile Workers the official union of General Motors. Immediately, the workers' pay was increased 5%, and the UAW was able to sign up over 100,000 workers in years to come. What were the implications of this strike for the labor force? The strike was nicknamed the strike heard around the world because of how much of an impact it had on the labor force. In 1937, the U.S. was home to the most strikes in its history, and the UAW strike of GM was really the driving force behind the increase in strikes and union participation at the time. Thank you for that story. After the short break, Franklin and I will dive into the lives of the Flint people during the rise of the city and what has happened to Flint today. Everything gonna be all right. That was Losing My Mind by Cliff Mack, the self-acclaimed King of Flint of more appropriately named the knockoff T-Pain. Truly amazing use of autotune there. It really tied the song together. We left off at the strike heard round the world at the General Motors factory plant in Flint, Michigan. I would now love to talk about the lives of the people from Flint. What can you say about that? Not only was the city of Flint abandoned by General Motors, but also the people of Flint. General Motors' power reigned over the people of Flint. During the 70s, the peak of GM in Flint, they employed about 42% of the city. That's not as much as I expected. Towns like Lawrence, Massachusetts, during the early days of the factories, were built as community for the labor workers. Essentially, the entire town would work for the factory. Well, GM and Flint's relationship was different than those types of towns. 42% was roughly 80,000 out of the 190,000 people of Flint. 
But the reason for that number not being any higher was because of the stigma that some people had towards General Motors and factory work. One example of that was Darwin, Darwin N. Davis Sr. and his father's views of factory work. I believe we have that clip. Interesting question because my birthday is April 10th. I was graduating in June. On my 18th birthday, I was through school every morning at 11 o'clock. I had taken a lot of classes and I was through at 11 o'clock that morning. So I went out to the automobile factory and got a job working in the factory in the afternoons from 3 to 11. And I worked 11 every night and I came home with the bed and, 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 and went to high school. I saved money, I was making money. So I, always, I always worked. I, I've always been very ambitious about working and making money and doing all this. And so I uh, was making money, man. I was, I was doing it. And on Saturdays, I could work double shifts, and, and Sundays, work double shifts with double time. I was just making more money than I ever thought. I was making way more money than my father. And I remember telling my father, listen, Dad, this is really great. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay out of college. I'm not going to go to college for the first year. I'm going to save all my money, buy all my clothes, and buy a car, and buy all this, and then, and then I'm going to go to college. He said, well, that's, that's good. You, you thought this out. I said, yeah, I really have thought to study. He said, well, that's, that's fine. Where are you going to live? I said, well, I'm going to stay at home. He said, no, you can't stay here. And I said, what do you mean you can't stay? He said, I'm not raising factory workers. If you, go, if you work in the factory, your brother and sister are going to go work in the factory. And I don't want you all to do that. I quit the factory, he said. And you all are not going to work in the factory. Now, all my relatives worked in the factory. It wasn't denigrating the factory. But he knew once you got in the factory and you start making money, you, you don't get out. And uh, I said, well, I'll just come by, on, uh, I'll get a place to stay and come by here and, and, uh, and, and pay mom to do my clothes and, uh, and, and, and have my food. And he said, no, you can't do that. Are you going to live here or not live here? You're going to go to college or not go to college, but you can't live here if you don't go to college. And I was so hurt. I said, you can't. My mother was just, oh, goodness, she was tears in her eyes, and, and he said, but he was adamant. And so um, he said, I want you to go to a college, a black college, for at least one year. And then you can go wherever you want to. And I, most of my friends had gone to Michigan State, and so that's where I was. And I was a football player, and I had a scholarship there. And he didn't care about that. He said, you can. And um, I had a scholarship at Arkansas. And so... I went to uh, I went to Arkansas. The factories were able to lure people in with their incentives and high-paying positions. Younger people like Darwin were persuaded by General Motors every day. One example of that is seen in an article by Peter Baroque. In the article, he touches briefly on the influence that General Motors had in, at schools in Flint. GM had their own institute where they would give presentations to college-bound juniors and seniors. And for the students who were not going to go to college, GM offered them jobs on the assembly line. Glenn Wilson, the founder of Communities First, Inc., said recently in an article that people looked at GM as if it was God. And if you didn't work for GM, you didn't have a say. That was power in our community. When you think about it, you could drop out of high school and make 70000 a year without $100,000 of student debt. You could work for GM for 10 years without a high school diploma and live next door to a doctor. Mm, that's interesting. The hold that GM had on the Flint families and even their children. GM's work on the assembly line was impossible 
to not be intrigued by. Let's jump to GM leaving Flint and the negative consequences that it had on the city. What can you tell us about the move? General Motors started moving out of the city in the late 1970s. Flint employees to GM dropped like flies as the workforce in Flint lost 30,000 employees from 1978 to 1992. GM appointed a new CEO, Roger Smith, in 1981. He was appointed a year after General Motors saw its first annual loss in 60 years. So, Smith decided that the fix for GM was foreign manufacturing and ventures. He decided to move many of the jobs out of America for cheaper labor in places like Mexico and Asia. How did the people of Flint react? The popular film of Roger and Me by Michael Moore does a great job of illustrating the effects the factory closings had on Flint. Most of the city lost their jobs and had nothing to fall back on besides welfare from the government. In the film, Michael Moore followed the local sheriff around as he evicted people daily. It was terrible to see the sheriff have to evict people that he knows and two to three of them a day from their houses. Was the entire city in shambles? Not exactly. Downtown Flint was home of boarded up shops and stores. There was barely any businesses still open in the area. However, the suburbs of Flint was home to large and fancy homes. There was even one event held in the movie Roger and Me, where the rich people of Genesee Valley, the suburb of Flint, had a great Gatsby party. The hosts even hired jobless people in Flint to be human statues at the event. Michael Moore filmed the event as it happened, and the rich people of Flint seemed to not care at all about what had happened to Flint in the recent closing of General Motors. No one understands the catastrophic effects that the factory closing had on Flint? Well, besides the people in Flint, including the local government, no. It was and still is a sad place for many people still affected by General Motors leaving. Thinking about Flint today, where is it? Has it gone anywhere near where it was 50 or more years ago? Unfortunately, not so. The town is, has been struck with budget problems and the people of Flint are still mostly in poverty. General Motors only employs around 5,000 people in Flint today. And since 2005, there's been 5,000 vacant and abandoned homes demolished. This is mostly because 41% of Flint lives under poverty or lived under poverty between 2009 and 2013. Mm, that's terrible. The problems just don't stop there. Most of America now knows Flint because of the news in the public water crisis. The city's water is infected with lead and is causing many diseases to occur within Flint. But unfortunately, Flint doesn't seem to have anything great going for it, as you can see. Where can you see Flint going now? What can it do to get back to where it was? And it's going to be an interesting next decade or so, as the people who used to work in General, Mac General Motors factories die and the new gener generation replaces them. Um, in my opinion, there is little hope for Flint as of now because of its high crime and violence statistics. Businesses just don't see a lot in Flint, and that's not helping the people of Flint find new jobs. But even with all of what, hold what is holding Flint down, there are still bright spots in the city. Flint is home to four large universities, one of those being a section of the University of Michigan. There are young, smart, and motivated college students graduating in Flint each and every year, and with them, there's always the opportunity of a leader emerging for Flint. What that leader may do, we don't know, but even if they can fix one of Flint's many problems, that might kickstart a return to Flint's once power. We're getting towards the end of our show now. Thank you, Franklin, for coming on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I'd love to share one resource that any listener could donate to to help the people of Flint gain access to clean water and better opportunities. www.unitedwaygenesee.org is a nonprofit that is helping the people of Flint with basic need resources. Any donation is useful for the, organi for the organization in all of Flint. 
That's www.unitedwaygenesee.org. Thank you again, Franklin. It really has been a pleasure talking with you. It's been a pleasure as well. That's everything for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.